Thank you, music team, for leading us to that place. Uh, This morning, we are beginning our summer series on prayer. Uh, So throughout the summer, we're going to be spending time looking at uh, the different prayers that are prayed throughout the Bible and what we can learn about God and ourselves from these prayers. Uh, so, so prayers that are corporate, uh, prayers for healing, uh, prayers for direction, prayers of confession. And really at the core of all these prayers is a desire to have a relationship with God. It's in its most simple form, prayer is having a conversation with God. It's walking intimately with Him, speaking with our Creator. But All around the world, prayer is not just a central part of the Christian religion, it's a central part of almost every major religion out there. Um, In in the Hindu belief, prayers are offered to specific deities for specific reasons according to your needs. And some prayers had to be offered or have to be offered uh, with certain rhythms said to them or in specific sounds in order for the deity to act, for instance. Uh, in Buddhism, prayers, prayers are much more meditative, and instead of asking for help from a deity, it's more of a mindset of meditating on the deity or the god uh, for inspiration to change your own situation, whether that's a physical or mental change. Uh, Muslim, the Islamic belief, have, have quite structured and guided prayers uh, where they, they face a certain way uh, when they pray, and they do it at certain times of the day. It's very structured, and all of these practices help turn their attention to who Allah is, or Allah, and turn their attention towards him. But even within Christianity, we see tons of differences. Uh, When we look to the Anglican belief, they use the Book of Common Prayer, which was written in the 1500s and passed down from centuries ago uh, to what they have now. Uh, In the Pentecostal circles, uh, prayer can be much more physically engaging uh, with, with repeated words or phrases and much more physical movement at times, too. And then there's us Baptists, and most of the time we're just not sure what to do with our hands when we're praying. Should they be folded, raised? Does it matter? Does that affect the reception? I don't know. But even among people who don't claim to be religious, prayer is pretty common. I, I think that if you were to pull all of Leduc and ask who has prayed and who hasn't before... I think there'd be staggeringly few people who haven't prayed. I think we'd be surprised by that. I mean, just scroll through Facebook and you'll see uh, non-religious people uh, commenting thoughts and prayers with you in this um, when something terrible happens. I mean, the, the war in Ukraine, for instance, the, the hashtag for those of you who are on social media, uh, pray for Ukraine became quite a common phrase And you could see that among religious and secular environments alike. When we humans come to the end of our ability, we need something higher to turn to. And when we can't do anything to turn or change our circumstances, we we turn towards God or gods. And usually then, only when it gets bad enough. But it wasn't always this way. Prayer was much more of a connection and it was very different when God first created mankind. As, as Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God alongside him, they spoke freely with God. Prayer was a conversation. It was relationship. And though it's changed a lot since then because of sin in this world, it's still the same in its purpose. Prayer is still the same. 
once sin came into the world, humans, we were given the ability to choose between God and ourselves, to submit to the way that God created this world and the will he has for us, or to follow our own purposes and our own desires. And so in Genesis 4, we read that it says, at that time, men began to call on or proclaim the name of the Lord. People began separating themselves by who was a God follower and who was not, by those who called on God's name and those who didn't, those who prayed, those who continued to have a relationship with God, and those who walked away from him and chose their own desires. And as time went on, we read stories in the Bible of of incredible people who have prayed incredible prayers. David, as he took care of the needs of his sheep and saw God take care of his own needs, penned the words, the Lord is my shepherd. When, When Hannah wasn't able to bear children, she prayed fervently to God, asking her for a son. And she was able to receive one and named him Samuel. In, in 2 Kings, we read the story of King Hezekiah who was threatened by multiple kings and armies that came up to him. And in his worry and fear, he prayed out to God and asked him for help. And the enemies suffered a loss of almost 200,000 while not a single Israelite died. Prayer is a way of communicating with God, telling him our struggles, our joys, our needs, our burdens. But it's so much more than that as well. And while there are different types of prayers that we're going to be looking at in this series, they're all focused on relationship with God. At the basis of every prayer is a relationship and desire for relationship with God. And this is part of what separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world, all the other beliefs, because most religions say that if you you do this, then your God will give you this. Uh, you know, if you, if you recite this prayer, if you pray to this image, if you sacrifice this thing, then your God will be forced to act. He will do this because you did that. But in Christianity, that's not the case. It's the opposite, in fact. Prayer isn't a do this and then God will act type relationship. God has already acted. God has already paid for the price for our salvation. And because of what he's done, we can have a relationship with him. It's not a we need to be good enough to get at a certain point to have a relationship with him. He's made the way for us to come to him in prayer. But that's not the way the world sees prayer or the way they see God, right? People, we turn to God when we can't change or guarantee our outcome. Things like the weather, success, failure, death, illness, all of these things we have no control over or very little. Which is why, throughout history, people began to make idols, carvings of of wood and stone, and they would pray to these images and items, asking them for favor over their crops so that they could be well-fed and rich. We, people, have always sought to have control over the uncontrollable, over uh, these things that we have no power over in, in supernatural ways. And so when praying to an idol wasn't enough, they began to offer sacrifices, animals and other things until it wasn't working enough and so people began spicing up their prayers and sacrificed people even their own sons and daughters believing that if this was the way to force God's hand then it was worth it and so prayer deviated throughout the course of time into almost a type of magic where where people could control a certain god or gods through 
um, repeated words, actions, and people thought that they could conjure or threaten their gods into acting. But that is a horrible stretch from where prayer, or what prayer was designed to be. It's about relationship, not about manipulation. It's not about a relationship or a vending machine type where we put in X and we get Y exactly as we want it. So, uh, this morning, we're going to begin our series by looking at how God encourages us to pray. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. And as we look at this, uh, I want us to understand that prayer is much more than simply asking for what we want. That we can trust what God teaches us about prayer, especially in this chapter, and that it's the most important understanding we can have on prayer because it's what God taught us to pray. So, as we read through Matthew chapter 6, uh, we'll be reading through verses 5 to 16. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 16. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I always find it hard to read that one in the NIV. I memorized it as a kid in the King James Version, the thys and thous. Jesus teaches his disciples, and he's got a crowd of hundreds, if not thousands, around him at the Sermon on the Mount, the portion we just read. And he's preaching to this, this multitude, listening to him on how to pray. And he begins with the words, Our Father. Now, referring to God as our Father is uh, maybe a way we can understand it is Trinitarian language, right? There's God the Son, God the Spirit, and God the Father. Uh, but the title Father isn't just given as a a meaningless name or title. You see, it's, it's never God the King, God the Son, and God the Spirit. It's Father, a title given to God to help us understand our relationship to God. In John chapter 20, uh, we read of the first conversation Jesus had with someone after he was resurrected. So after he was raised from the dead, uh, he speaks with Mary Magdalene. And in his conversation, Jesus sends Mary out to go and tell the other disciples that he's resurrected. And here's what he says. He says, go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Right? The good news of Jesus is that by dying the death that we deserved, we imperfect people can have a relationship with a perfect God that we can come to know him in relationship, not just as a slave to its master, but as a child to its father. That's the intimacy of the relationship he's getting at here. Do you see how incredible this is? 
the first thing that Jesus wants us to understand about prayer is that we ought to recognize who it is we're praying to. And in, the, in, in this mindset, he is God the Father. But he is our loving Father who will look after us in totality, who knows us and cherishes us as his own family. That's the God we come to in prayer. And in this, we also need to recognize that God is infinitely holy. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. Sorry, I'll get it out one of these days. But, but he reigns from heaven where his order and his will are followed in perfection. That he is God who is so much greater than us that we cannot even begin to comprehend him in totality. It's like an ant trying to comprehend the thoughts of a person. God is bigger than our minds can imagine. So our prayers shouldn't be jokes. There shouldn't be careless words that we just mutter. Because they're heard by the one who sets gravity in place. Who keeps the sun burning and controls even the most chaotic parts of creation. The, the Old Testament refers to this as the fear of the Lord. The recognition of who God is in strength and holiness. So... Though we may come to God as our Father and our loving Father at that, we need to see Him as equally worthy of all of our respect and submission. In Hebrews 5, I've always thought this was a really surprising verse. Uh, chapter 5 in Hebrews says this, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, being God, uh, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. When I first read that, I thought Jesus, who is God, was heard by God because he's God, not because of his reverence, but it says his reverence submission, his willingness to come to God with respect and seriousness. Jesus, who is God, was heard by God because of his reverence submission. How much more ought we as humans to show him that respect and submission? We're speaking directly to the God who creates angels that we can barely even comprehend, who takes care of the universe and holds it all together in ways that we can't even understand. That's the God we come to in prayer, who knows more than us, but what's more than that is he knows us. So as Jesus begins teaching us on prayer, one of the first things we should recognize is who we're praying to. He's God, our Father, and he's infinitely holy and infinitely loving. Both the Father who sits us on his lap and asks us to hear about our day. And the Almighty Creator who with a very word can speak existence out of being. When we see both of these aspects in God, it helps us in two ways. It helps us to trust and to submit in him. To trust that he is truly a loving Father and who desires the best for us who won't disrespect us like others have in the world, but has our best in mind even when we can't see it. That we can trust him in that. And we could submit, knowing that we don't have all the answers, knowing that he is God, that he is over everything. We can come to Jesus in prayer, trusting that he sees everything, knows everything, and is in control of it all, that he is trustworthy. That's the God we come to in prayer, infinitely holy and infinitely loving. Now Jesus goes on in his prayer to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, if, you were to, if you were to look up the definition of prayer in the dictionary, it goes something like this. 
a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to a god or an object of worship. And too often, that's all that prayer is. It's asking God for something or, or maybe sometimes thanking him when he's given us something. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me wrong in this. God wants us to come to him for the things that we need every single time he wants us to come to him. But it's more than that. He wants to correct the imbalance that we see in life. And the imbalance is between our reality as we see it and the reality that God has created as it truly is. Right? Because our reality too many days is like this. It's, it's oh, I've got to get the kids to school today and they're going to be late today. That's okay. I'll call their teacher and let them know. Uh, I've got to think about something again for supper. Man, we just had that last night. We can't have that again. Uh, this guy messed up at work, so now I have to work overtime. I've got to finish two assignments by Wednesday. My week's going to be super busy. Our minds are focused on a thousand different things, right? Drawn in different directions, and too often it seems like all of those directions pull us away from God. Again, bringing our reality before God is what he asks us to. The things on our minds and our heart is good. We have a loving Father who literally has told us, ask and you will receive Right? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But as we pray, Jesus calls us to lay down our reality as we see it. To accept at God's feet how he sees the world completely and perfectly. To lay down our own will and to accept his will for us. And the backwards part of this is that when we do, when we are more concerned about God's will than our own lives, our lives are vastly more full. Full of joy, full of meaning, full of purpose. Right? We, can, we become less worried for how we will get through the day, and we become more worried about how God will use us throughout the day. It feels, it feels backwards to find satisfaction in following God's will more than our own, but think about it like this. If God truly does care for us, if he is truly our Father who has created us, he will take care of our needs, just as a loving Father would want to take care of his own son's needs. Our wants may lack at times, but if the Almighty can take care of everything we need, not only that, but seize the things that we actually need, then we can trust that what he does for us will be for our good. Then in following his will, we are most satisfied. But that's, again, not often how we view God's will, or at least one day I'll maybe get there. But that's not how I view God even sometimes. I remember a few years ago, I was... Uh, I was single at the time, and I was working at the church in Beaumont uh, as uh, um, an associate pastor, and I remember praying one night, and I was, I was asking God, and I, I remember saying to him, I'm like, God, what is one thing you want me to be praying for? And as I was waiting, hoping to hear from him, I felt he was asking me to pray for this one specific girl named Mandy. Uh, and she was, uh, she was a fantastic person. She was a single lady a couple years older than me. Um, and, and I was like, okay, yeah, for sure, Mandy's an amazing person. What can I be praying for her about? And uh, I heard God say, pray that, you, that, that I would bless her with a spouse. And I remember in that moment, I, 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 I was like, uh, pardon, God? Um, that's what I want. That's what I have been praying for for the past three years and nothing now you want me to be praying for her to find a spouse? That seems kind of mean, God. And I took a little bit to calm down. Um, but I agreed to pray for her. My reality 
was that I wanted a relationship so bad that I was willing to overlook the needs of others. I was so focused on my own desires that I didn't know what God actually desired for me. And through him asking me to pray for her, I found myself becoming more content with my circumstances, the place that God had put me in, the time that he'd put me there for. Not only that, but I remember a few months later, uh, and it was just in passing, a friend happened to mention that Mandy had gotten into a relationship. She's married now. It's fantastic. Uh, But I remember I was so filled with joy, and it was almost weird. The person telling me was like, okay. Um, But I remember how excited I was, not just because my prayer had been answered, but because I could take joy in her success instead of feeling bitter towards it like I normally had. Right? When we come to God in prayer, he asks us to submit our own will and to trust in his. It's terrifying. It seems mean or cruel at times. It seems like he's pushing our buttons or chafing us. But discipline never seems pleasant at the time. He's growing us, helping us to learn. And sometimes we can't even see in the present moment what he's going to be doing through it. And that's, again, where we need to trust in God. We might not ever find out why. But again, we can still trust that in the midst of our unknowns, we can trust he's good, that he's loving. Jesus goes on to pray, uh, give us our daily bread. The things that we're in need of, even the things that we might think are insignificant, Jesus asks us to come to him for, to find them in God. And what I love is that these are practical needs. Give us our daily bread, right? We need food. We need breakfast, lunch, supper. Otherwise, we'll be hangry people, but... We need these things to survive, to live. And if we're in need, we can come to God. If, if we're in need of food, literally, we can ask God. If we're in need of compassion, we can find it in him. If we're in need of peace, he is the rock that we can find peace in. He's the best source. Jesus encourages us to bring the things that we need to him in surrendering our own will to him, yes, but also the things that weigh heavy on our hearts and our minds. But Jesus also uses the, the phrase daily bread for a specific purpose. Back in Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verse 8 and 9, I'll just read it for you. Uh, the author says, Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is God? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. To come to God and ask him for the things that we need, not for the things that we greed Asking Jesus for our daily bread means asking God for the things that we need, not in the way that we see it, but in the way that he sees our reality. Not in our selfish or proud desires for more, but in the way that he has designed us to be in need. Coming to God for the things that we need is relationship. Just like your child comes to you asking for a drink of water when they're thirsty, we can approach God like that like that relationship, and ask him for the things that we truly need because both he knows what we truly need and he's able to provide it. He's good. So, in your prayers, go to God with your needs, but also allow him to show you what your true needs are. Allow him to show you reality as he sees it. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One time, as um, Jesus is walking around with his disciples, Peter pipes up and um, he asks Jesus, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And I've always, 
imagine Peter's kind of like half looking over at his brother Andrew, who's like looking back at him in disgust when he's talking to Jesus. Um, and Jesus answers in a parable, as he always does. Uh, and so he gives the parable of a servant who had been forgiven this tremendous debt by the king. Uh, but after, after the servant's debt was waived all these millions of dollars, he went around to the people that owed him small amounts of money, and he condemned them and beat them until they gave him his money and paid him. Uh, it's the story of, of uh, a man who was shown mercy but is unwilling to show mercy. You see, one mistake we make about repentance, about turning from our sins, about realizing that we have a flesh nature, is that Oftentimes, we think it's a one-and-done thing, as though we'll never sin again. Now, Jesus paid the price for our sins once and for all. Every sin that you have committed and every sin that you will commit has forgiven in Jesus because of the sacrifice that he made. But, as I said before, prayer is about relationship. It's not about getting, or giving X and getting Y. It's about bringing our reality to God and him helping us to see reality as it is. In our reality, we often don't even want to focus on our own sin, the ways we continue to mess up. But Jesus wants us to bring our reality to him in prayer. We're encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus. Not so he can judge and condemn us, but so he can love us, so that he can help us, so he can save us from it. To know God's great mercy as we repent so that we might in turn show that same mercy to people who make mistakes against us. And the part of the reason Jesus encourages us to pray is so that we know how great our need is for God, to still recognize that we are in need of him, to see that we have sinned against God in far greater ways than anyone has sinned against us. Right? That no evil that has been done against us is larger than the evil we have done against God, that I have done against God. And in that attitude, we can truly forgive others, right? Having this mindset also helps us to be more content when we're hurt by others. Knowing that Jesus has forgiven us such a tremendous debt and the greatness of our sins, right, we can find the strength in him to forgive the smallness of other people's sins. Now, it might not feel like that person's sin against you is small. It might seem like it's destroyed your life or changed it inevitably, but that's kind of the point, right? Prayer changes our perspective changes the way we see things and shifts our perspective from the reality as God, or as we see it, to the reality as God has created it. So in the final words of Jesus' prayer, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As long as we walk in this world, we will struggle with temptations and the effects of sin. Um, during, the, during the reign of Queen Mary, a few centuries ago, also known as Bloody Mary, for how many people she put to death. Uh, there's a story about two martyrs who were condemned to die by burning at the stake for their beliefs in God and the things that they confessed. And uh, the one prisoner was confident of his faith. So as he was in the prison, he was boasting about how he would, on that day, face these trials like a man and that he couldn't even imagine denying Christ. And uh, it says that even on the day that he was to be executed, he was saying that he was being made ready like a bride uh, prepared for her groom. That was the one prisoner. And beside this, this confident man stood another prisoner who was condemned to die. And while he was in the same way determined not to give up on his faith, he started voicing some concerns that he was terribly fearful of fire. 
he went on to say that he'd always been sensitive to suffering in the world. And so he asked the other prisoner to pray for him, and he was only met with rebuking and um, being made a coward for how, uh, for how scared he was. On the day of their execution, the first man recanted at the first sight of fire and walked away from his belief, probably never to come back. The other man stood trembling, and he prayed, Father, lead me not into temptation. He stood firm as, as, as he praised God and died a cruel but courageous death. Like these two prisoners, we will go through trials and temptations in life, hopefully not to this degree. But in these trials, the point is not to recognize how strong we are. The point is not to try and get through them on our own, to be the lone wolf and do it all together yourself. The point is to recognize our need for God. And in these trials, the point is not to be proud, like I said, or our own ability to withstand. It's to have a humble attitude, willing to cry out to God asking for help that we need. We will all face temptation. Our faith will all be tested, right? To see that if we truly will choose God when there's no benefit to choosing God or no seeming benefit. And even in those moments, God is so good that we can ask him for the help we need to choose him. To choose to bite our tongues instead of speaking bitterness. To stand against injustice instead of being tempted to sit on the sidelines. Right? To be wronged and not choose retribution, but to choose forgiveness. Even in these things, we can ask God for help. Bring your weakness to God. Ask him for the help when you're struggling that you need. Just like a child learning to ride a bike and they inevitably fall over and scrape their knee and their first reaction is to yell out, Mom! That's the essence of this prayer. To have a relationship with God where he is the first thing that we call out to. To have such a close relationship with God where we call out to him as Father and submit to him as our loving creator and the way that he sees the world, laying down our opinions, our feelings, and to accept what God has for us. It's not easy, but there's nothing more worthwhile, nothing more worthwhile for the place that he has destined us. And prayer is where this relationship begins. So, uh, this week, and for the rest of the series, I just want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to start by spending 10 minutes in prayer every day. Uh, for some of you, this will be too little, and that's okay. Keep going. Uh, and others, it's going to feel like an eternity. That's okay. But as you spend these 10 minutes in prayer, hopefully every day this week, uh, I, want you to, I want you to be encouraged in following this example of this prayer. And uh, maybe there's three helpful things I want to point out. First, when you're praying, reflect on who God is. Know the God that you are praying to, who is both your loving Father and the Almighty Creator. Grounding yourself in who he is allows us to trust and submit to him. Second, be real with God. Don't sugarcoat your sin. He knows it. Don't pretend to be something you're not either. God wants you to bring your reality to him, even though he knows it. Right? Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, they hid in the garden, it says, and God called out to them, where are you? It wasn't that he didn't know where they were. It's that he wanted relationship. He wanted them to speak up and say, so be real with God. Bring your reality to him. And third, ask him for the help you need to submit to him. It's very seldom that we feel like submitting to God. But in this, again, we can ask him for help to see the world and our lives the way that he sees it, not the way that we do. 
We serve a God who desires to have relationship with us, with you. He wants to have a deeper relationship with you. Are you going to respond to his calling? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that in all things that we can trust that you are good, that you are holy. We thank you that we can run to you as our Father. Thank you that in you all of our needs can be met. But Father, too often we're so focused on the things that aren't really needs. So we pray that you would help us to correct this imbalance. God, through your spirit, transform us. Help us to see the things that you want us to see, to understand reality as you've created it and not as the things we blind ourselves to. Father, we thank you that you are good to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. And as we pray this week, Father, I pray that you would meet with us as we try to meet with you. Thank you for your goodness and that we can even be with you in this relationship, Father. Thank you for your great love for us. Pray these things in your name. Amen.